following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of I'm our shows, as so well as breaking sports news and engaging Three, two, feature one. stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Hey, <laughs> Did you stab Crackling Pop? All I heard was a slam as he dabbed. Let's do that one. All right. Okay. Three, two, one. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sunny in Phoenix podcast, a weekly podcast where we keep you up to date on everything Phoenix Suns basketball. This week, we're going to be talking about the young guys, Josh Jackson, Dragon Bender, maybe a little Marquise Chris. And then some point bookers, some Devin Booker running the point. We'll talk about that. We'll recap some games. And, man, we're going crazy with it. We might even hit a little Super Bowl talk, too. So lots to get into. I'm Charlie Erling. I have David McGraw and Dab and Mitch Krumpetich with me. What's up, guys? Hey, you remember? You got to remember that uh, this is the No Fun League that you just mentioned a little bit. We got to say the big game, in quotes. Oh. Whatever. <laughs> I, I don't have much to say about that uh, It was a great game though um, Spoiler alert Okay I've given you enough time The Eagles won and it was awesome Go not Patriots um, There were some great commercials In this Super Bowl I was pretty happy Tide definitely won The, uh, the commercial version of the Super Bowl But speaking of ads we have a review from someone named Kia Optima 2. I'm not sure if you want me to just like do a Kia Optima ad. I don't drive one, so I can't really. But thank you for leaving the review on iTunes. We appreciate it. If you go to our iTunes and leave a five-star review and a comment, we will shout you out, just like I did here. We got to jump over the hood of a Kia Optima right now, right now in a dunk contest, right? Yep. That's what that means. All right, Pontiac Grandam, I'm expecting a review out of you next week. <laughs> I, I could <coughs> jump over, like, a Hot Wheels and then dunk on a Fisher-Price hoop. Does that count? Yeah, you could. You, you <laughs> could do that. That counts. Okay. Follow us at Sunny and PHX Pod on Twitter. That that could happen, possibly. Way to leave them hanging, Mitch. That, that'll, <laughs> that'll definitely get us some followers and some people <laughs> eagerly checking our, our Twitter feed each day, no doubt. I'll be okay, checking. Let's, let's get into it, though. Josh Jackson is who we want to talk about first because he put up four 20-plus point games in a row over the last week. Uh, in Memphis, he had 20. Against the Mavericks, he had 21. Against the Jazz, he had 20. Against the Hornets, he had 23. So, after a rough night against the Rockets uh, at the end of last month, he just put four really great games together. And that is just so encouraging to see out of a young guy who can be down and then fire back with four games like this. Yeah, I mean, like, this was if this was another guy, who knows what we would have seen, but being able to follow up 0 of 13... And just come back and put up four 20-point games all back-to-back. Three of those getting pushed into the starting lineup. Um, like, that's really awesome. And this this feels kind of reminiscent. We, we saw this where Jackson got benched uh, a little a couple weeks ago uh, in the Denver game. And then he came back and started playing really well. And this was not exactly the same, but kind of almost feels like the motivation thing of like, man, I just went 0-13 time to turn around and do that and he, he was playing really consistent I felt like before that and then to have four straight 20 point games I don't think a lot of people would have pegged Josh to do that so far this season maybe beforehand or like down the line but not necessarily this season with how his development has been right well I think the thing with this is in that game against the Rockets He did miss all of his shots, but it's not like he was taking shots he normally wouldn't or anything that was that bad. It was just an off night, and things weren't falling for him. But he got lots of good looks like he usually does. Uh, So it was good to see him not get bogged down by just an off night um, and just seeing him tear it up and play like we knew he was capable of. He's really showing us his offensive game right now. 
and what he's able to do. And I mean, I want to talk about some of his misses in these good games. He's just trying to yam it so hard on these guys and he's getting so close. He's had a couple like really impressive missed dunks. And once, once he's able to convert those, he's going to be getting more of that national attention. I guarantee that. So in this game against the Hornets, one of those yam attempts, he just came right down the middle of the lane, brought it back a little bit. I think it was he was trying to put it on Dwight Howard. And he, he had it cocked back, and it, like, rimmed out. It was so close to going down. But it brought me out of my seat. The min, Like, the second he left the air, I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing no matter what happens. But it, it did put me back right in the seat when it did rim out, but... He is so entertaining to watch and he's putting up shots over this last over the last couple weeks here but uh some pretty good percentages like in this Hornets game he went 10 for 14 that's 71% in the Dallas game he went 9 for 14 that's 64% so those are solid numbers and he's shooting it pretty well from 3 too uh 41% over the last 4 games and as for field goals, he's shooting over 50% for this last four-game streak. So this has been fantastic. Yeah, and when it comes to those three-pointers, I've just noticed that his shot looks a little bit smoother. The hitch is still there, but it looks a lot better than it did before. And maybe this is just the Suns fan in me, but I'm excited for the off season for a lot of reasons. But I'm excited to see what how he further develops that shot in the off season. And then next season, I would just assume it's going to be even smoother than it already is. So it's been nice to see that improvement for sure. Yeah. And I mean, you can have a hitch in your shot or a funky shot and be successful. I mean, we had a guy in Phoenix who had a really funky shot named Sean Marion and he had a really good NBA career and sure. Like things have changed a little bit, but he was a kind of a prototypical stretch for, at times and or small ball for whatever you want to say and you know confidence is a big thing and I think we've mentioned it a couple of times on the podcast that he's not kind of timidly going up for any of his three-point shots or anything he he definitely has a lot of confidence going up and even a guy like Eddie Johnson has said that too that if you have confidence in your shot even if it is a little funky you can still hit it right if like when when a guy gets in his zone, it's like he could almost kick it in and, it, and he, it's just gonna drop. It's kind of like Jackson is starting to feel that confidence a little bit. I think that's a big part, and you can about guarantee that the coaching staff has have been doing what they can to smooth out his shot. I mean, they're probably not trying to change a big part of it during the season this year, or that you know they might not ever do it, but. They're definitely uh, making the best of what's there with the shot. It's becoming smoother, a little more efficient, and he's confident with it, and that's great. And a step-back jumper coming into his game, that's really nice to see. He creates room very nicely for himself with that. Okay, let's move on to Dragon Bender. Bender has had two really big games in a row here. Uh, 16 points, 9 boards, 5 assists against the Jazz and 18 points and five boards against the Hornets. So we're missing Chris for this Hornets game, and we'll talk about that in a minute here. But it's nice seeing Bender get these minutes. Against the Jazz, he played some backup five. Against the Hornets, it was mainly at the four, but uh, it's nice seeing what he can do when we do put him in at center and let him really stretch the court out. Like, we got Rudy Gobert out of the paint. A lot of that Jazz game, we couldn't capitalize on it but Bender kept him honest and made him stick out there so that's a good sign yeah when you have a guy that shoots 37% from three guys you have to honor that and this isn't something like Bender shooting 30% and just hucking up shots like uh, someone like Nikola Mirotic last year a ton was not shooting a really good percentage from three and it seemed like guys were trying to honor his shot too much when he was only shooting like 30% Bender is a legit three-point shooter. He may not be like elite yet, but he is a three-point shooter. And when you have when you are shooting like 37%, your defender has to honor that. And being able to sit play at the 5 and get the rebounds that he did one, but 
force a guy like Obert as a rim protector to come out of the paint just to like honor the fact that you can hit threes can be really big for getting guys like Josh Jackson or TJ Warren into the paint to score and get and make it easier for them with that without a big rim protector in the paint. Yeah, he is definitely able to stretch the floor out, and it's great. He's shooting well from three. Love seeing that. But here's the deal. Bender's seven foot one. He needs to be able to work inside, even if it's just a little bit. And we've been saying this for a while, and if you watch the broadcast of these games, Eddie Johnson says it like 15 times a night, if not more. And, I mean, in the last two games especially, we're seeing him get to the rim a little bit more. He dunked with two hands, kind of hard in this game pretty against hard. Charlotte. Pretty hard. Pretty, pretty hard. hard. We can say pretty hard. And I, I mean, both of us at the same time sitting at this game, me and Charlie both just went, yes, Bender, at the same time. <laughs> we were so excited. Like, this is the next step. And they've talked on these broadcasts about a lot of guys that are projects like him. They'll start with one thing and really work on that, and then they'll move to the next thing, and then they'll move to the next thing. So we started with defense. Bender is one of the better defenders on the team. We know that. He's pretty good at it. Then we move to three-point shooting. That's really starting to come to him. Now we're seeing a couple of these little runners in the lane uh, working on the rebounding. It's it's nice to see it coming together, and I, I think – it's really looking to me like Bender is going to be an important piece of our future moving forward. Absolutely. With everything Bender brings to the court, he's definitely an important part of this team, especially when you look around at the other pieces we have, like a guy like Dragon Bender on the floor with Devin Booker. I mean, that's a great thing with the way that Bender can pass, space the floor, play defense and switch with Booker when it's necessary. Like, who was it tonight in the Hornets game? Kemba Walker. Yep. Dragon Bender got switched on to Kemba Walker numerous times. Kemba did hit a couple tough, contested jump shots on Bender. But the way, like, t- show me another 7-1 guy that can stay in front of Kemba like that. It's incredible. I love what Bender does. And, I mean, everyone says, oh, here was a good Dragon Bender game. He's going to do nothing for the next five. Well, this is the first time he's put two in a row together. And I'm pretty hyped. Yeah, and Bender can stay in front of these guys. I know it wasn't it wasn't successful if we're going to even look back further and that game where we just got trounced by the Rockets and he kept on getting switched on to James Harden. And I mean, like, he stood there in front of James Harden and had a hand up, but James Harden's just too good. If you can keep that positioning, most of the time it's going to help out, help you out in the long run unless you have, like, a superstar talent that can just do whatever or an all-star talent that can kind of just hit whatever shots he wants like having that positioning is so important and we kind of we talked about it a little bit last year too and and the few games that we were able to see a bender here and there but that defense is there and that ability to switch is so important and take this with a grain of salt but having to watch the espn broadcast of the mavericks game it, it is kind of something where i think people are starting to think that Bender might be the more complimentary piece to Booker because of the fact that he is just a much more efficient floor spacer than Chris and doesn't doesn't check out of games when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. And I I think that's something that probably even as Suns fans that you're going to see a lot more people noticing that Bender, while maybe with Tyson it's a little – suspect at times he he probably has the better opportunity we have the better opportunity to succeed as a team when bender is out there alongside booker so hear me out here um devin booker equals michael jordan josh jackson equals scotty pippen dragon bender equals tony kukoc is that what we're trying to do here because let's run with it and say so (laughs) That's a little extreme, but essentially, yeah. yes. Have you guys ever heard my theory about Michael Jordan not <laughs> drafting Devin Booker? Okay. It, it's but, a good okay, theory. Okay. It's a good theory, Cotton. Let's, let's, put, let's put that in perspective. I think that's what we're going with, but just imagine that on 
an 18-win team. That's that's <laughs> what we are. That's that's how it is. That really brings you back down to earth, huh? Yes, yes. That really but does. Here's here's the thing that I want to see from Bender. I would like to see him get stronger so that he can defend a little better in down low and like play that backup center role or even starting center eventually. That'd be cool. But here's the thing he's got to be careful about. Sometimes these guys get too strong and it affects their shot. And I could see that happening to Bender and I would worry about that. And now I'm going to give an extreme example and this is a super deep cut, but bear with me. Now this is college. Gonzaga had a guy named Guy Landrietti from France. And during his junior season, he was a decent three-point shooter. Um, Not, like, great, but he was okay. He was not a bad shooter. His senior season, he came back, and he was jacked. He was so strong, and he was huge. And he couldn't hit a shot to save his life. Hmm. He got kicked out of the starting lineup because he couldn't make anything. And even on senior night... They gave him so many minutes, and we were up by, like, 20 or 30. And Guy couldn't hit a shot. He just couldn't do it. He took so many. And, I like, he barely made any shots that season. So you have to be very careful, and I've seen it. So we need him to get stronger, but in the right way. So you make a good point because on the Sun subreddit the other day, someone posted a, I think it was a Draft Express article about Bender. Mm-hmm. And there was a quote from Bender saying that he wants to get stronger, but he doesn't want to lose his speed and quickness and agility. So, like, he's aware of that. And I think, I mean, I uh, this, is, this might not be a great example, but Rudy Gobert is not a brick house. He's still somewhat thin, I'd say. But, you know, he doesn't need to be weighing 300 pounds to own the paint like he does. I think, yeah, if Bender just gains a little bit of more muscle and just gets that true basketball body going on, I have no worries about that. I don't think Bender is the guy on our team we need to worry about putting on too much muscle and then just being garbage. I think there are a couple other guys that we should worry about first. Just saying. <laughs> well, yeah, probably. But I still think it's it's my concern for Bender because I've had that experience. If we're going to let one guy get all cracked and jacked, it's got to be Tyler Uless. <laughs> he just need, we need to pump about 50 pounds of muscle into him. Have him look like a muscle hamster. Doug I was going to say Maurice Jones-Drew. Yeah, running back. Yeah, that too. That would be good too. Just yeah. model him on one of those, like a, just like a bigger Isaiah Thomas and angry. Yeah. Pump him full of steroids so he gets angry. <laughs> that artificial <laughs> anger. Yeah. Okay, so we've been talking all this good stuff about Dragon Bender, but we got to flip the switch and talk about Marquise Chris. So after the Jazz game, it sounds like Chris got in an argument with an assistant coach, just verbal, nothing too crazy it sounds like, but the team sent him home for the day as a cooling off period. There was a bunch of discussion of whether it was a suspension or not, and the Suns seem to clear it up and say this is not a suspension. It's the cooling off period. So pretty much they're suspending him without taking away his game check is how I read this. So, I mean, let's just start it off. Is Chris a head case? Are we going to have to be worried about this? Is this another Morris brother type situation? Where are we going with Chris? I'm terrified. Yeah, it's scary. Same. I mean... I don't want to overreact. I'm trying really hard not to, but it's so, so, so easy to just see these similarities. And, you know, uh, a verbal confrontation, is that what they called it, with an assistant coach? Like, we've seen this before, i.e. throwing a towel at Jeff Hornacek in the good old days. But uh, (laughs) it's... Marquise Chris needs to learn how to channel this anger and this attitude into a positive. And we've talked about this, how we like to have like this edge, this like bad boys esque kind of look, but Chris just tends to turn that bad attitude into pouting and like just 
stopping doing things correctly on the floor and it's so frustrating and you can see it and he really you know we talked recently Booker sat down with him had a talk and things started going a lot better and then he got hurt came back and it was okay and now we're seeing this again and you know he's young we get it but like Josh Jackson is young too we can't just keep using this excuse and we've we've seen the players say the same thing they know they're a young team but they're like we can't keep saying that we're a young team it's not a good excuse for losing there's young teams out there that are good too so I don't know he's got to figure it out he's got to figure out how to channel this into a positive and if he doesn't the results aren't going to be good for him. I want to butt in here. Does anyone on our team have a positive attitude right now, really? Do you think Devin Booker is pretty psyched up about this season? Because I think right. I see some frustration out of him. There and I think, it goes, yeah. I think it goes all the way down the bench. I think everyone's pretty frustrated. I, and like, I think they got to so be too. sick of losing, right? Right. We all are. Everyone's sick of losing. But Booker can channel that into 30-point games. Yeah. Josh Jackson can use that to imp- just continue to improve and keep on trying to get better. Dragon Bender can use that as trying to improve and be a better team player and be a better player in general. But, okay, the other thing, here's another example. Booker, thrown into this point Booker role, he obviously is not super happy about that. He likes working off ball so much more. It's apparent. But he is taking his point guard duties in stride, and he's putting up games where he has eight, seven, eight, nine assists. He he's doing what he needs to, and we just can't say the same thing about Chris. Okay, I I don't like doing this, but and I've done it before. But I think I'm I'm not just talking about Chris right now either. I think Tyson Chandler might have an attitude. I th- I think we've heard some stuff about how he might not be the best teammate, might be a little rough in the locker room, but the things I see out of Tyson Chandler on a game-by-game basis, uh, one, not protecting the paint. I don't know if it's age or athleticism or effort, but it seems like his brain isn't telling his feet to move into the paint to go protect the rim. That really bugs me. Two, when there is a rebound that Tyson may be able to grab that another guy is going up for. If Tyson doesn't come away with that rebound, he gives that guy the shittiest look after he grabs the rebound. I like, look it up. If he goes up for a board with someone and he doesn't come away with it, his own teammate, he's mad and it it shows. And just that type of stuff. It's like all, it's all building together. And like, I'm not worried about Dudley. I'm not worried about Booker. I love Jackson's attitude. Bender I'm not worried about. But it seems like everybody on on the bench is getting a little perturbed with a lot of things. And I think I look at Tyson Chandler, and he's the one that I see who's giving me something to complain about right now, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, that's a great point. And, I mean, he's the, the vet, the leader in this locker room. He's won a championship before. I mean, you've heard it all before. Defensive player of the year, this, that, and the other. And when he has a bad attitude, it's going to rub off on people. And these young guys are going to see, oh, well, this must be okay. Whether that's something they consciously decide or not, it rubs off. The other thing is, and I'm just going to briefly mention this. It might not be a big deal, but to me it was. In the game against Charlotte, he did not jump for the tip-off. He always goes out there to do the opening tip, and he didn't jump. He sat there. And we lost the tip, obviously. He didn't jump. That bothered me. I mean, he went up for the tip against Gobert the other night and then not against Dwight tonight, last night, for you listening. Like, that's just weird. Like, is he trying to send a message or something? I I just don't understand. I, I, I just think he, it seemed like he had a bad attitude from the start. He, he just wasn't. It's it's a term, when I was playing sports back in high school, our coaches would say, if we had a bad game, you guys didn't get off the bus. I'm sure everyone's heard that. But it seemed like Tyson didn't get off the bus in this Charlotte game. I mean, look, 
I am not going to ever probably. I, I'm never going to be mad at Tyson. That I have a, I I just have a really weird thing, a weird love almost for Tyson, but, I mean. He just won't go up for rebounds. He will kind of box out and then not do anything and there will be a string of three or four offensive rebounds that just get collected by the other team and like it kills any sort of defensive stop we might have been able to get like he just lets them kind of go by and doesn't do that there is talk here and there that the kind of player that he was uh on a team like the knicks where like his defense player of the year season or when he was on the Hornets when they were in New Orleans and that kind of stuff that he was he he did kind of have a bad attitude was a lot was some of the talk not a lot of it but some of the talk of just like having a bad attitude where it comes to that and I mean if we're going to talk about wanting guys to stop complaining to the refs uh, Tyson does it too does it just as much as anyone else like all that stuff is there so like it's all very valid things to be frustrated about for a guy who's 35 years old making what 15 million a year 12 million a year something like that 13 yeah exactly like 35 year old guy end of the line we're not trading him because book likes him and like he he's he, it's like he's a ghost out there sometimes or like a mummy like a mummy that just talks a lot and hmm. possibly goes for some hard fouls when he gets frustrated I hear you so what it boils down to we're paying Tyson $13,585,000 next year if we keep him around and not trade him or cut him or whatever can we all agree that that is not worth it for this team anymore especially going into next year well especially if we draft a center too let's keep Aiton in Arizona huh? <laughs> Aiton Bagley whatever like Bamba yeah. Bamba any of those three guys any of those three guys I'm totally okay. they played Oklahoma like yeah but like just a seven footer that can move please how many times on this podcast have we said that alex len just needs to play way more minutes and should probably be starting especially this season how many times have we said that yeah like yeah but then he comes in tonight and hacks three times within a five minutes or something like that that's debatable those questionable calls we'll save this for later because if you can tell my voice is a bit hoarse, it's because we were at the the Hornets game today, and your boy was yelling at those refs. There, there and was Cody a lot Zeller. to say. And Dwight and Howard. <laughs> Dad? <laughs> 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 okay. All right, so that started about Chris. It started about Marquise Chris, and it just turned into a son's attitude adjustment session followed by a Tyson Chandler hate session. <laughs> which I don't like to do because I do like Tyson. Overall, I like yes, Tyson. Yes. Got to respect that guy's career, no doubt. Tyson's amazing. I'm happy to have him. Okay, so let's move it on, though. And we got to talk about Point Booker. Uh, we've been experimenting, ro- running Devin Booker at the point guard. And this has been going on for a few games now. It started with the Knicks game. And then before we get into the whole Point Booker discussion, we got to talk about Isaiah Cannon. Because this injury that happened to him in the Mavericks game is what's going to definitely force this team into be running more point Booker. And, I mean, we've all said some things about Cannon, good, bad, neutral. But I think when he got put put on our roster, he did what he needed to do. He outplayed James. He earned his spot. And he was going to get us through this season running that backup point or even starting point at some point uh we needed him and it's just a shame that he went down and 
from what I saw, it sounds like Candon has earned himself a training camp roster spot for the Suns next year, so he'll be there to try out and everything. And I just hope for the best for Isaiah and just really thankful for what he did for us briefly this season here. How often do you see an injury like that happen twice in a season? Like almost the exact yeah, same thing. Crazy. I know. And that Hayward being on opening night, that was rough. And then, like, my wife and I were at this game. Mitch sat that one out. And the whole arena, luckily it happened on the opposite side from where we sit. So it was kind of like it was as far away as possible from our seats, opposite corner. And I looked at it. I was like, oh, he fell down wrong. I, I knew it was bad. And then you could see the reaction spread like a wave across the arena because the people with the best view or worst view, whatever you want to say, they all got shocked by it. They were like, oh, no. And then you could just see it spread around the whole arena, the people going like, oh, no. And, oh, man, just like that eerie quiet in the arena and they're not showing anything on the big screen. Just, oh, that's that's just rough. Yeah, this this was bad. I mean – when I, I watched the game on TV, and at first I just was like, oh, he came down on it weird. It'll be fine. But then you see him not get up, and you see the reactions of players and fans and everyone like that, and you knew it was bad. And I didn't even want to look, but I did end up looking at it again and seeing how bad it was. But I want to give huge props to Jared Dudley on this. Yeah. When Cannon went down... Dudley wanted to walk away. He looked and saw what happened and went to walk away, but he stayed there right next to Cannon and was talking to him, distracting him and everything, while the medical team literally put his foot and ankle back in place, which that's painful. Um, And Dudley was just like with him the whole time until he got off the court and everything, so... Huge props to Dudley on that. But, yeah, I mean, Cannon had been great for us. I was a big fan of what he was doing and happy about that. So it's it's unfortunate and wish him a uh, speedy recovery for sure. Yeah. Um, Jared Dudley's the man. I don't think we can say that enough ever on this podcast. Um, we need like, to get him on the podcast. <laughs> yes. yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> we do. Like Dudley's just the man in general, uh, both in his first stint and this stint in Phoenix, like just great. And just being there for Isaiah was great, but like, and, and even being on Twitter after the fact and basically saying like, this dude like deserves a spot on the roster next year. Like uh, I, I agree with him. I, I think Cannon definitely does. He's outplayed Tyler Uless by a wide margin. He outplayed, Mike James by a wide margin, obviously, since Mike James isn't on this team anymore. Like Isaiah Cannon came in here and while he didn't have like he had that stretch to start out where like he was looking really good, he was averaging like ten points and four assists for this team, and that's pretty solid for a backup guard point guard. And I would really enjoy him to be on this team even if like it's only for spot minutes here or there and there's some other guy that plays point guard or something like I would rather him be here and get the opportunity to get minutes here because he did a ton this season for our enjoyment of basketball. Right. Good way to put it. And one last thing about Cannon, I don't know if this was shock or what it was, but that dude is tough. He didn't have a crummy face. He didn't yell. He didn't cry. Like, man, I would have been crying like a little baby if that would have happened to me right there. And I saw my ankle like that. I would have been freaking out. But he I, he was pretty stone-faced through the whole thing, so I'm just going to assume he's a really tough dude, even if he was in a little bit of shock. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, but we, we're here to talk about Point Booker here, Booker running the point. And I know, David, you uh, did a little stat searching before the podcast, so what do you think? Yeah, so... This is only since the Rockets game, not since the Knicks game. So it's really only like another – it's another like four-game sample size, but four out of five games, whatever. Um, averaging 20.5 points, 
7.25 assists with three and a half turnovers shooting 31 to 77 for the field 41.33 percent and 11 to 28 from three 39.28 percent not actually really a drop off from three at all but definitely a drop off from the field in general I think a lot of that is because of the volume of threes that just he's taking is really bringing that average down in general on his field goals. But there is probably a little bit of question just looking at the base numbers if there is some struggle with Book being thrust into playing point guard just in general. I think that the big thing seems to be that I think we mentioned this last week on the pod that he needs some other guys out there that can move the ball and play make. And I think that's why the last three games, probably specifically, well, the Dallas game wasn't too much, but the Jazz game had 18 points and the Charlotte game had 18 points. He had Josh Jackson out there on the court with him. Josh Jackson is the guy that can um play make here there or bring the ball up the court i think that helped him a little bit but this is going to be a struggling transition for booker while he can do the james harden type role i don't think we want him to be doing it 35 minutes a night like what we want from booker is the opportunity to do that for prob for spot minutes maybe like five to ten minutes a night where he's basically being point book we don't want it for extended periods obviously he's great off the ball Obviously, he is great with the ball in his hands, but like it's going to be a transition having to guard smaller guys, go up against smaller guys. It is a transition, and that's why you see this kind of dip in points in general, but especially because of that Rockets game, it really helped kind of inflate his average of assists, but his assist average is going up because of it. He is actively looking to be a facilitator, I think, and... That's unfortunate because down the line, but for the rest of this year, it's it might be a little frustrating for him because of the fact that like he's having to think like, all right, I need to go out and score, but I can't. I have to go out and pass the ball and make sure all these other guys are getting involved, and that's going to cause his numbers to dip. So this is kind of how I boil the whole experiment down. I want the opposing defense – I don't want them, their number one concern is to get the ball out of Devin Booker's hands. I want their number one concern to be not letting Devin Booker catch the ball. I want Booker running off screens like a madman, and then when they start overplaying it, hit that back cut. Like you talked about, David, we need guys that can find Booker. And there have been some great passes from Bender to Booker lately, as well as Jackson getting it to Booker as well. So that's my main thing. I, I want Booker – I want them not thinking, okay, when Booker brings the ball up and they set this PNR, we got to trap that real hard and make sure Booker gets the ball out of his hands as soon as possible. That's not good for us at all. We, we can't have him in that role for as long as we've had lately, even though that's kind of what we have to do right now because Troy Daniels sure isn't going to bring up the ball. Josh Jackson, I mean, he can do it, but I'd rather not have him do that either. So, Right. Yeah. Well, and we know Booker prefers to work off the ball, and we've seen some great plays from him. We've seen this double screen on the baseline. We've seen the elevator screen for him that work very effectively, and we just can't do that kind of thing when he has to be the main ball handler. So, I mean, it's kind of it's a fun experiment. He's doing pretty well with it, but I like him off the ball more. Yeah, and I think one thing that – um you you're probably going to notice and you should look for when he is bringing up the ball there isn't there are times where the entire point of a possession we will have when booker is not playing point guard is to get the ball in devin booker's hands so it's him running off screens or getting the ball to a big to then hand off to booker when booker has the ball it then is basically all right our entire goal of this possession was to get booker's Put the ball in Booker's hands. And there are possessions, especially in the Mavericks game I saw it a ton, where he got the ball in his hands to and brought it up the court, and then it felt like he kind of just dribbled out the shot clock because he was kind of trying to make his move in here or there to get open for a shot, and uh, there wasn't really anyone else moving off the ball to help him with that. 
it kind of just happened by circumstance that because Booker had the ball in his hands, that was our main goal. And we weren't sure what to do when he brought up the ball and just had it there. And we didn't want to set a screen so he could be trapped, but we didn't really know what else to do besides that. Yeah, there have definitely been some times where I've noticed where Booker's holding the ball and no one is doing anything. That's just bad basketball. That's not going to get anything done. I mean, even just just act like you're moving around. You don't even have to set a screen. Just switch spots with a guy or something. Just make it look like there's movement. Maybe a defender messes up. Like, maybe. They're not going to mess up if you're just standing there. I know it's the NBA and everything, but it's just tough to see that. At least it's not Tyler Eulis. <laughs> At least it's not Tyler Eulis dribbling out the ball for no reason and then hitting or throwing up a short three-point shot or a short two-point shot or short shot in yeah. general. Well, uh, here, here, it's funny because he's little. And, and his new favorite thing, though, is to dribble right under the basket and just, like, hang out where he, there. For where he's while. his most effective. Yes. Right under Directly the under the basket. <laughs> like, even if he were to take a shot, it would get blocked by the backside of the backboard. Like, oh. How does he not know that's not a good idea? <laughs> He's been watching too much Steve Nash tape. His problem yeah, is, is that he can't see very well. He always has, like, squinting eyes, like he's trying to read something. <laughs> so, like, he, he's going, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, man, I'm underneath the backboard. How did that happen again? Yeah. Oh, I was that- just reading the bottom line at the eye doctor. It said R-S-F-J, but now I'm <laughs> under the basket. <laughs> We need to get that boy some Horace Grant goggles. I think that's what we got to do. All right, let's uh, let's keep it moving. Let's talk a little bit about these games. Uh, we get we got the Mavs, the Jazz, and the Hornets. And you know, I think I I want to talk about the Jazz game first because even though it was terrible, me and Mitch had quite the experience. So we're sitting in our normal seats at the game. And a few minutes before the game, uh, one of the season tick rep, ticket reps came up to us and said, Hey, uh, guys, do you want to sit in the Coors Light cold zone seats? The guys that I, was, that I had come did not make it, so I got to put someone there. And we looked at each other, we were like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty much, if you haven't seen them, it's like a, an equivalent of a third row courtside seat. But they're these giant armchairs that are insanely comfortable. And it's like, we were sitting there and I was like, I don't, I don't think it can get much better than this. Like, this, the Suns could win. Like, I, I don't even know. It, it was an awesome way to watch a game, though. Yeah, I mean, we lost by 34. Like 50. And, and it was like one of the most entertaining games I've been to this season (laughs) because we're sitting in these like comfortable chairs and I mean yeah it was great it was an awesome experience it's really cool to sit down there and I mean the thing that I really noticed that really really stuck out is people always say the difference they talk about the difference between college and the NBA um that the NBA is just so much faster and I've sat in similar spots at college games because as anyone who knows who listens to this show, I went to Gonzaga. I was in the band. I sat in similar seats at tournament games with the band. And when you sit there in the NBA, you see how much faster the game moves. Like, seriously, the ball, the, every pass is essentially right on the money. It is moving so fast you i mean i lost the ball a bunch of times just sitting down there it's hard to follow it at that level and i really see what people are saying when they say this game is fast so watching the the jazz had the ball on our end we were uh to the right of one of the buckets so we were on the baseline far right side and the Jazz had the ball, and they started moving it around, and we were scrambling to get back into position. Uh, we had to, I think someone bit on a pump fake and jumped into the stands, and we had to rotate around. And those guys were moving so fast, and the ball was moving so fast, like, thanks to the Jazz, like, incredible ball movement right there. 
but I lost the ball and I had no idea like what player was what when I was trying to figure out what was going on. It was insane. Yeah. Oh yeah. The other thing, I thought we scrambled on defense a lot. We scramble on defense even more than I thought <laughs> when you sit down there. Like, oh, geez. <laughs> but, no, I mean, shout out to whoever that rep was. I, I, We didn't get his name, but super cool of him to come and let us do that. It was a lot of fun. And we tried to plug the podcast, but Wheezy wouldn't. <laughs> but shout out to Wheezy because he's awesome too. Also, Derek Favors to Phoenix is going to be a thing. I, I yelled my free agency pitch to him, so just just be aware that he'll at least consider Phoenix. I think there are at least at least 10 occasions where I heard, Derek, consider Phoenix in free agency. <laughs> Mitch, you were just letting that fly all night. It was I, great. I was, I was ready. And it was friendly, too, you know? It wasn't, like, demanding. It was, No, it was I just, just wanted hey, to consider, consider it. it. I mean, we have a great climate down here. It, it, the team is promising. Consider Devin Booker's promising. Seriously, all I want to see on July fourth is Derek Favors considered Phoenix and free agency. <laughs> I just want to see that Woj tweet, that Woj bomb. Yeah, and you can all thank Mitch, Davin Mitch Crumpetich for that. Hashtag considered <laughs> the consideration. I want to see that on ESPN. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, we did win the Mavericks game. Do we want do we have anything to say about that? It feels good to win. It was a bummer. Like it was a win that I didn't feel okay with because Isaiah Cannon went out. And like yeah. that entire game I was just like, Can this game just be over? I don't want like any possibility of another injury happening. Like, please just let this game be over. And I felt like the guys like out there just wanted the game to be over too because like that's just yeah, you emotionally don't play draining. After you see that, you don't want to do that to yourself yeah. after you just saw that happen. Right, right. One thing about the Mavs game, though, uh, we're running low on Dirk Nowitzki appearances here in Phoenix. We're getting towards the end of his career, and uh, my wife likes Dirk, so we went to the game. So maybe that was her last farewell to Dirk, but it was cool seeing him have a decent game, fourteen and ten, while we win which is the most important part to me. Always seeing that Suns W. But Watch him fade away jump shot into the sunset. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the eternal fade away. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. And then the Hornets game. Um, just just so rough. We were up over 20 points, and we there was a 30-point swing, and we ended up losing the game. It, that, was, that was so rough to watch, and I know – I'm going to sound like a broken record. I think I've done this within the last few weeks here. But those refs were so bad in this one. The foul numbers were insane. The free throw numbers were just out of hand. And there was hardly anybody at this game today or yesterday before the Super Bowl. <laughs> you know, it was it was a couple hours before the Super Bowl started, so it was running tight to watch the whole Suns game and then get home for the Super Bowl. So there weren't many people there, but the Boo Birds were – Loud. I mean, just as like, were they as loud as they were on Bledsoe's return? Uh, I'd have to say pretty similar. Close. I still think that takes the cake this season. But yeah, you're right. You're right. It. It. Uh. I mean, yeah, these refs were bad, and I feel like I'm trying really hard not to say that. But this was terrible. This was inexcusable. Like. There was a Hornets fan sitting in front of us who even acknowledged how bad it was. And, I mean, the free throw discrepancy. It was, I'm pretty sure they shot 26 free throws and we shot 12. That's, and those, at one point we had shot five free throws. I'm pretty sure at halftime we had only shot five. 29 to 13. 29 to 13. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah. So, more than double. Yes, that was bad. And, I mean, there's points where, like, we would have four team fouls and they would have none. And then they'd call like three quick ones on Charlotte just to even it out. I'm like, that's just not right. You got to call a foul. If it's there, you don't need to like even it out. Like if it's a foul, call it. And if it's not, don't it's simple. And and here's the two things that really bugged me from this one. If TJ Warren's going to get a technical foul 
he got fouled, and there there was something wrong on that call. If TJ's going to sound off to a referee, I mean, I'm I'm going to back TJ in that situation. So seeing him get a technical, that that always upsets me. It's happened a few times this year, and it's upsetting because he's he's just always getting rocked in the head. That's he's getting the case today, hacked but. like no other, hitting the head like no other, no foul calls. And then, and then my other big beef with this one was the Devin Booker flagrant foul. Is that a flagrant? If you're try, if you put a hard foul on a guy on a fast break, and I don't think he touched his head from the replay I saw. I didn't see it at home on my TV after the game, but it seems like live at the game he didn't touch his head. How is that a flagrant? And yeah. I mean, he's our superstar. He's pretty darn good. You gotta give him a little leniency, I think. I mean, I think he's deserved that by now. Yes, yes, definitely. Herder excessive contact. Huh. Yeah, that was. I've seen more excessive contact at a petting zoo. Nice. Seen more excessive contact when I stub my toe in a shower. <laughs> what are you doing in the shower? Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, one thing from this Hornets game that was just fantastic, though. Daniel House Jr. Oh. With the, the two posters... <laughs> One was on Zeller. Who was the other one on? Let's it just doesn't say matter. Zeller. It was great. Both on <laughs> Zeller. <laughs> it, the one good thing about the game, there was like there was like no one there, so it just happened to work this way. Right after House flushed one on Zeller, uh, Zeller's walking back to the bench. They yanked him out of the game right after he got dunked on, which was funny. And he's walking over to the bench, and it's so quiet in there. And I yell, hey, Cody, that was embarrassing. <laughs> and I I know he heard me. He, he looked embarrassed. He looked up he just a little bit, yeah. He, he blushed. Yeah, that was great. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, this episode's running pretty solidly long here. Do we Do we want to do a little Super Bowl talk or no? I have one thing to say about the Super Bowl. Yeah, do it. The thing I was happiest about, as someone who, I mean, I don't like the Patriots, but essentially neutral, I guess, these refs were good. I think they got the controversial calls right, the ones they reviewed. They didn't call anything that really, truly affected the game. I mean, like the touchdown call with Ertz, did he become a runner or not? I thought it was pretty clear he became a runner. I thought the refs did a great job, and I think these NBA refs should be taking notes from that game. That's right. Yes, they need to be definitely taking notes from NFL refs. Never thought I would say that ever in my life. I know, I know. Yeah, wow. But also, like, the NFL needs to do something about the, like, color commentator guys that are basically just going there. And this is, like, almost all of them just sowing seeds of doubt of, like, of the NFL rules and officiating. Like, just sowing these seeds, just like picking at these things of like the rules and just be like making people feel like things are way more difficult to understand than they actually are. Like, especially during that, like Zach Ertz touchdown, like there was so much of Collinsworth and Michael saying like, Oh, well that's not a catch. Like if you, if you're going to say this one isn't a catch, then this one isn't either. And like, blah, blah, blah. Like, is he a runner or is he falling? And you know, these catch rules, like you just can't know anymore. And it's like, all right, guys, like, is someone paying you to, like, hate on, like, catch rules or something? Like, chill out. Yeah, and the way that they were saying, like, oh, that was definitely not a catch during the review, like, I'm a bit of a Patriot hater, but it makes me think, like, are you guys rooting for the Patriots? Are you just doing everything you can to not say go Patriots? Is that what it is? Yeah. It, it drove me nuts, and I've never had a deal with Al Michaels before. I love Al Michaels. Yeah, Al Michaels is usually great. But I really do not like Chris Collinsworth. No, I'll here's a guy. About, uh, Chris Collinsworth, you sound like you know that you're the smartest guy in the room, and you have the answers for everything. And, I mean, yeah, you're, you're, uh, you're a commentator. You should have some of the answers. But is it the way he speaks? Is it his voice? Is it his tone? Is it his 
smug little face? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. It's, it's the smug little face. I think that's it. Okay. It's the face that, that looks... No, oh, no, I can't say that on the podcast. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> don't cut that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I'd rather have Tony Romo have huge PTSD flashbacks on whether or not they were going to call that a catch <laughs> or not, like in the booth, like freaking out, then having to hear That's those guys good. talk about how it wasn't a catch. That's yeah. good. Yeah. And uh, I got one final thing to say about the big game. That call by the Eagles on fourth down oh, to yeah. run to run that reverse pitch throw to the quarterback – that the Patriots oh, tried to run and failed Patriots at. The Patriots tried it. Tom Brady alligator armed that one because he had no idea. Like, Tom Brady knows where everything is happening on the field while he's in the pocket. But once you get out next to that sideline and you got to open yourself up for a catch, you could tell he did not want to have any part of that. Yeah. Those were some true alligator T-Rex arms. And, oh, I really enjoyed that. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed that. So Nick Foles. But, yeah, that – has a great nickname that just got cemented with that play. Like it, it was, it was really good. Like, does it start with a B? <laughs> so it's with a D. Well, okay. no, I mean, yeah, uh, no, it is a B, but there's also a D there. A, yeah. And then an N. BDN. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, he. Uh, that that was a great game. It was a lot of fun. And it rhymes. Okay. <laughs> Non-sports plugs. Non-sports plugs. It's it's time for that. We've got David's comic book corner. Maybe some comic book talk here coming up. We'll nope. see. We have Mitch's face-melting minute. Maybe we'll talk about some... What do you call this music that you like, Mitch? Hardcore? Grindcore? Not grindcore. <laughs> Definitely um, grindcore. Is it De- softcore? No. Deathcore um, and metalcore are usually my staples, but uh, I'm going to shake things up this core week. Corecore. Okay, good to know. Core core. Okay, David, start us off. All right, so definitely not a comic book, but there has been a new fighting game that came out. It's called Dragon Ball Fighters. Um, it is a two and a half D like Street Fighter esque fighting game with a roster of characters from the Dragon Ball series, and it's dope. Like, it's so good. It's ridiculous. It is, like, really easy to, like, do combos and make you feel like you are a fighting game expert, even if, like, you you don't, like, you've never picked one up. But, like, it's really easy to combo off. It makes you feel super rewarded playing the game. And it's, it's just a ton of fun. And, like, everyone, every character feels different, which in previous Dragon Ball fighting games was not the case where they just basically had like three character classes and reskinned them all. Like this is, it's just like a really solid game. It's a lot of fun and it like, it's, it's the best. It's probably one of my favorite fighting games ever. Dragon Ball fighters with a Z. Z. If there's a Z, you know, it's good. Okay, I, I want to piggyback off that. I have a video game plug as well. I've uh, plugged this game numerous times. RimWorld. RimWorld. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But the, something significant did happen. RimWorld hit 1 million downloads on Steam, which is a pretty big deal, apparently. And the fact that like one guy made this game and brought it to where it is, really cool stuff. So if you like uh, colony-building-type games, check out RimWorld. It's fantastic. And I'm glad that you guys all knew where I was going with that right from the start. Uh, Yeah, I need to play that more, for sure. All right. So my plug this week is slightly different, and it's a double plug. So, first off, Arcane (laughs) Hair Parlor. This is where I go get my hair cut. It's a great place, and my stylist uh, likes black metal, ambient black metal. And so we had talked about this, and so I recently went and got a haircut, and I said, you know, what What are some bands that I should be checking out? And she gave me a great suggestion. So I listened to Wolves in the Throne Room, two albums of theirs. Two Hunters came out in 2007, and Thrice Woven, which came out in 2017. This is atmospheric, 
slash ambient black metal. These guys are from Seattle. So this many is, adjectives. This is some pretty cool stuff. It's very um, it's very easy to get lost in the music. I think that's a good way of describing it. And I was just doing a little bit of research on the band, and they said they wanted to create music that embodied the forests in Seattle. And uh, I lived in Washington for four years, and when I listen to this, I'm like, you know, I see where they're coming from. You know, I'm not that's not usually how I work, but I was like, <laughs> I see where they're coming from and it's pretty cool stuff. So check out wolves in the throne room. Sounds like there were some drugs involved while they were uh, coming up with the. Uh, who knows? The album. Who knows? Yeah. Ambient I, I black dance death mutal. <laughs> 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 Only the top notch stuff though. <laughs> I want it to sound right, like guys. if Pearl Jam did a love ballad <laughs> while screaming. Uh, not anywhere close to that. <laughs> That's all Seattle is. We have fun here on the Sunny and Phoenix podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We will be back next week. Be sure to hit up the Twitter at Sunny in PHX Pod. And of course, the Underdog Sports Network, theunderdogsports.com. Great stuff over there. Check it out. See you next week, and go Suns. <laughs>